This is where they are building the largest nuclear fusion reactor in the world. Yeah, a friend of mine told me I had to check out this pool. America on Main Street and at the dinner table is talking about infrastructure when 20 years ago they didn't even know what that meant. Today those towers are an astounding display of wealth, prestige and engineering firms. It's impacting everyday Americans. I am against the train the way it's being done right now. New York City housing is a scam. It is a scam, 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 scam. The Shard in central London is being officially opened today and at 310 metres tall, it's Europe's newest and tallest skyscraper. Hello, I'm Fred Mills. And this is the world's best construction podcast by the B1M. That's right, I grew tired of San Diego. I got fed up with the palm trees, the sand, the nice climate and the nice people. I couldn't fight the urge to get back to this inflation-ridden, overpriced political vacuum that is the United Kingdom. I'm back in the UK, I'm here, and for the first time ever, we've got everyone on this podcast in the same country, in the same nation. It's never happened. No one's dialing in from anywhere crazy. We're all in London, the UK. Today, we've got Luke Bly over in Basildon, one of our creative producers in charge of podcasting. We've got Liam Marsh in London, in the UK, in Shoreditch. Some big news from Liam. He's no longer the B1M's Head of Content Partnerships. He is with effect from today, the 1st of September, the B1M's Chief Revenue Officer. A very, very well-deserved promotion, Liam. Fantastic to have you on the podcast with us in London. And if that all weren't enough, guys, we've got a very, very special guest, Jaden Irby, the B1M's Head of Content. So, fantastic lineup today. How are you doing, Luke? You all right? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad at all. I mean, even if I say like I've done something interesting on a weekend, it's overshadowed by Liam's glitzy and glammy <laughs> announcement, isn't it? Congratulations, mate. Well deserved, man. Thank you, mate. Thank you, mate. Just call me his lordship. Office, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's great. Yeah, it's uh, um, super humbling to to get this promotion it's been great um and also yeah i'm back in back in london back in my favorite city and it's great to be here it's nice and overcast outside it's a little bit windy a little bit rainy but i wouldn't have it any other way mate um Jaden, welcome to the show how are you Thank going you. i'm good happy to be here it's my first podcast so please be nice to me guys excited <laughs> <laughs> to be here <laughs> We'll be all good. It's worth saying we recorded that podcast last week in San Diego on kind of the first morning of the event, uh, and the rest of that event was just absolutely awesome. There was there was amazing parties. There was the fantastic Bloomberg Extreme Awards. Uh, it was it was an amazing trip. So big shout out to everyone at XCon and the Bluebeam team who helped organise that. It was an epic epic event. Uh, in case you weren't picking up my sarcasm at the beginning, I'm actually gutted to be back in London. <laughs> I would much <laughs> rather be there. I fantasized on the plane on the way back about what if I move my whole life to California? Should I just live there from now on? But uh, but yeah, that can't happen. Now, guys, we've got one heck of a good show coming up for you today. We've got a very big long form video that's just come out on the B1M, why it's so hard to find an affordable home. We're going to be diving deep on that, bringing in Jaden, who's the content producer who helped put that together for us. We've also got in the news Masterplan Esberg Strand, a island new development in Denmark, which is very cool. The Angels Landing skyscraper in LA. Finally, a comment of the week and some of your emails. Let's go. So first up this week, guys, we've got Why It's So Hard to Find an Affordable Home, which is the B1M's latest long-form documentary, 30 minutes long, came out yesterday on the channel. This is a really big story for us. I think it's a pretty different story to the one you normally get on the B1M. It's certainly a very prominent story in the industry, but one that hasn't really been told in this way before. So I guess kind of like breaking it down for you and giving you guys as much context as you, as you can. If anyone hasn't seen the video yet to you know inform the discussion here, I think probably all of us have noticed that it's really hard to find an affordable apartment, well, an affordable home anywhere right now. You know, house prices are going through the roof, but particularly in our cities, trying to find somewhere to rent or buy to find a place to live is extremely expensive. And there are very extreme examples, places like Los Angeles, Toronto, uh, Tokyo, New York, Melbourne, London. Uh, some of these places are extremely exp expensive to, to buy in. 
There's a housing crisis worldwide, in case you weren't aware. There are not enough affordable homes for the people that need them, and that's a that's a big problem. Contrasting with that, there's a lot of new construction happening in our cities. There's lots of new developments, lots of new skyscrapers, lots of new offices being built. There's lots of new housing being built. But the problem is not much of that housing is really affordable. And with this video, we set out to find out why that is. Is that a good kind of introduction, Jade? And I'm conscious that you basically have immersed yourself in this for months. And even though you're our head of content, you took on the content producer role for this one. Is that, have I got yeah. it right? Yeah, I think you've got it right. I think I, I kind of thought about this story as, you know, I've been living in cities and just personally trying to find an apartment is like, it's like an Olympic sport, trying to find an apartment that you can afford <laughs> that, you know, isn't falling apart at the seams and is an okay neighborhood. And especially walking through London these last few years, I've just noticed that there's so many new luxury developments going up. And I'm just thinking like, is there really that big of a market for this? Or, you know, everybody that I talk to is not looking for an apartment in that kind of price bracket. So I kind of wanted to dig a little deeper and know, you know, why are we seeing so many new developments that look like this instead of just more average priced apartments that most people really need right now? Absolutely. And I think as we dived into this, we kind of discovered that it, it was almost kind of building on the billionaire's row piece we did back in December last year. There's there's high demand for luxury property and developers are satisfying that demand through the new construction projects and the developments that they're they're embarking on. But the people living in those apartments aren't really indigenous to these cities or the area to begin with. Or sometimes they're not even living in those apartments. They're just using them as a place to kind of park wealth or as investments. And I think what's been really telling through our research on this piece is that many of the developers and in, in their marketing, in the marketing we've had served to us on Facebook, on social media, on billboards, in conversations with people, they don't talk about buying a home. They talk about investing in the area, investing in a property, investing in a flat. And I found that really striking. It wasn't really about buy a home, but build a life. It was make an investment in this growing area, which I think was pretty striking. So I think with this video, we we told this through a very powerful development. We told it through a, a you know, pretty cool case study, Battersea Power Station in London. I think taking apart all the social housing, luxury housing stuff for the minute, this is a very, very cool project. For anyone that knows London, Battersea was, was one of its power stations, funnily enough, called Battersea Power Station. It was uh, providing a fifth of London's electricity supply up to the 1980s. But because of air pollution, it got shut down. So it was basically pretty bad for the environment. It was, you know, kind of gunning up loads of smoke into the city and, and all the rest of it. So it was shut down in the 80s. It then sat abandoned for several decades, gained grade two listed status. And then in the 1980s, uh, sorry, 1980s, it was some, some time in that period, it basically gained grade two listed status, became a listed building. Um, it was used for all kinds of things. It appeared in movies. It was on the Pink Floyd Animals album cover. Uh, Margaret Thatcher was going to turn it into well, not personally, but she was going to turn it into a, a fun fair at one point. Um, I ran through it for a men's health assault course, which was very, very cool. I remember at one point being knackered about six kilometers in, looking up and seeing the power station all around me was very, very cool. Um, but basically, th th people didn't know what to do with it. It was this huge site. It was being kicked around forever. No one really knew what to do with it. And then in 2013, a Malaysian developer bought the site and began a £9 billion regeneration project. Now, the video of the groundbreaking is pretty funny. You've got uh, then Prime Minister David Cameron with then Mayor of London Boris Johnson and the Malaysian Prime Minister all having a laugh, putting shovels in the ground, patting each other on the back. Everyone looks quite young from where from what happened over the following decade, you know, with, with with Brexit and a few leadership elections and everything that happened in the UK. Um, everyone looks a lot less stressed in that video, but but there you go. Um, power station itself was restored. The massive site was covered in new parks, shops, bars, and luxury housing and some affordable housing. It's worth saying the power station restoration itself is incredible. I can remember that building was always like off in the distance by the river and you could never get to it because of where the hoarding and the fences were to now get to be able to walk right up to it and touch it and see it in person and see how some of the heritage has been retained is an incredible feeling. I think, you know, Jaden was down there several times for the filming with me. It's immense that just the closer you get to it, the bigger it becomes. And it's 
I think that the entirety of St Paul's Cathedral could fit inside this thing. You know, if you have, if you're not aware of this building, guys, it's enormous. Six million bricks, one of the biggest brick buildings in Europe. Yeah, did you feel did you feel pretty imposed when you were down there, Jaden? Yeah, I felt tiny. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> Look at me. But yeah, yeah, it's it's honestly massive when you get up there, and it's it's wild how they're packing so much in that building. So there's going to be shops, there's going to be restaurants, there's going to be events venues, there's going to be apartments. All of this in just one single building is really crazy. And yeah. it's where Apple Apple are moving into yeah. there, right? As yeah, well. there's going to be offices, yeah. Apple headquarters, Sky Villas. Mm. <laughs> Found out that was a thing on this video. <laughs> Whatever that is, there's a, there's a bit of a theme I think with like taking a, a bit of he- city heritage and regenerating it, and then almost like putting a tech company in it. I th- I've seen that with a few. Um, there's been a few developments around the world. I've actually mentioned them in the mm. video. So Carnegie Library in Washington DC has become an Apple store. It's a beautiful building. There's a lot of kind of gravitas and scale and or or inspiring architecture in there which kind of you know fits with fits with the apple brand i guess um there's a gas plant in madrid that's been turned into a higher soft high-end office development designed by foster and partners so these these kind of places this is kind of a bit of a trend in our cities now it's like put put new edgy futuristic progressive company in heritage building and create irony I think is the kind of the theme. I don't know if you don't know if you agree with that, Luke. Create irony. <laughs> That's kind of what it is, isn't it? It's like I don't know if that was Apple's brief. <laughs> Great irony. Yeah. yeah, it's it's. I think it's um. The thing is, right? Is you said something earlier, Fred? Like for so many decades now, this power station has been sitting there rotting. It's been doing nothing. People haven't been doing anything with it. Um, there's been loads of proposals. The, the one I remember, the big one I remember, was uh, Chelsea were going to move into it. Yeah, yeah, they were going to make it into a football stadium, which yeah. I was like, okay, I don't know if that would have worked. Uh, just like, I don't know, you, you've you been there. I, I Here's the thing, I actually want to go there. I, I, I've gone past it on the train a few times. I was on the... Um, what is it, the train line you get, mate, from Waterloo? Is that Southwestern or? Oh, yeah. I went South to Western Kingston Railway. the other day. I went to Kingston oh. on, upon Thames. I was like, yeah, I went to a cheeky cocktail bar there, didn't I? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we had to go past. But it looked, it looked so impressive. It is just this massive structure on the Thames. And it it's really significant. Is. Yeah, it really yeah. is worth going down. I think you know, for all the conversation we're having about luxury housing and you know, whether this is this development's, you know, its, it's purpose and impact on London genuinely it's worth going down i think it's testament to the power of the construction industry that it can take a derelict site right. like that and turn it into a riverside park it's open to the public and you can now get up close to this amazing building this building that i've seen i remember the chelsea day i remember because that was like all over the news that day and it was happening it was on it was definitely going to be the new chelsea stadium and there was all mm. for years there were so many rumors around battersea like it was haunted and any contractors that tried to go in there and do surveys were seeing ghosts, and then they were like dying three days later, and it was all, it was all like you know, crazy stuff was happening, and all, the rumor mill was in overdrive. So to now see that site become what it is today is is absolutely incredible. I should say those four chimneys you see sadly are not the original chimneys, though they've done a ridiculously good job making them look like they are. Um, I remember there was a few weeks, well, no, a few few months really through 2017, 2018, where they had to have one chimney up at all times, I think. But there was there was different periods of time where the chimneys were sort of up and down. There was construction going on, so they took those down and rebuilt them by hand. They matched the colours exactly. They look exactly like the originals. It's an incredible job, incredible bit of restoration. That's that's really cool. I think that's similar to what they did with the Elizabeth Tower, right? Where they took each brick, microchipped it, sent it away for restoration, and then sent it back to the tower to be in the original spot. Yeah, it was incredible. I think that yeah, that's another amazing project, another restoration project that was incredible in London. I think I remember mm-hmm. the guy, the guy on Big Ben, the Elizabeth Tower, was telling me that I can't remember the exact percentage. But it was quite a high percentage of the stone was replaced with new stone. And I remember thinking at one point, well, is it still Elizabeth Tower? Is it still yeah. Big Ben? If you is it the original <laughs> still, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible how they do that. Um, now. The, the story of how this project was saved and how it came about is where things get a bit more interesting. So as we've as we've established, for a long time, for decades, this building was kicked around. 
it didn't really find a solution. It didn't really find a home. No one really knew what to do with it. In the background at the same time, the London Borough of Wandsworth, and indeed the wider city of London, was finding itself in the grips of a housing crisis. And what the government wanted to do, led partly by the Mayor of London at the time, Boris Johnson, was see regeneration in this area. And what they did was create what they call an opportunity area. Now, there are 47 of these opportunity areas in London. And what those, I'm going to boil this down very simply, what those areas basically do is make it easier for developers and businesses to get planning approval, build stuff and get things happening in an area. Now, that's that's a good thing. That's a completely legitimate way of uh, planning and managing policy to encourage development. They do it in cities all around the world. They did it in Stratford with the Olympic Park. You know, that's a huge success story. That what 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 was a you know pretty quiet area of London has now become a, a thriving, booming area. It's got a new postcode and everything. You know, it's a it's a big deal. So they've they did this with Battersea. They did it with the Battersea site, and that's how this regeneration scheme led by Malaysian developers came about. Now. Battersea Power Station is part of the wider Nine Elms Regeneration Scheme, which runs pretty much from Battersea Power Station, Battersea Park and and Chelsea Bridge, all the way up uh, to Vauxhall, to where the kind of MI6 building is. Although it's not the MI6 building, they just don't want you to tell you that. I didn't didn't say that, I didn't say that. It might be where James Bond works. (laughs) There's all kinds of new skyscrapers, there's new homes, there's a sky pool, there's a US embassy, which Donald Trump hates. Um, it's all it's all happening. It's all happening along the river, and that area of the river has been completely transformed over the last few decades. Now, London councils, and this is this is where this kind of Batsy development came about. In very simple terms, London councils have been facing funding cuts for years. They've had something like a sixty three percent funding cut in ten years, Jaden. Yeah, so I think the the core government funding from the central government has dropped sixty three percent over the last decade so that just leaves them with not a, not enough money to do baseline what they need to do and definitely not enough money to be building more affordable homes absolutely at the same time these councils find themselves in possessions of areas of land in central london that are now extremely high value so throw in high value land with the government not giving them enough money to build affordable housing with a housing crisis and pressure to build affordable homes and they have a high motive to turn to private developers who come in and say, hey, we'll happily give you a couple of hundred million quid or more for that bit of land you got there, and we'll build new homes, we'll regenerate the area, we'll boost your borough, we'll give it an economic boost, and we'll build some affordable housing as well. That's a sad reality, but it is how basically the system works right now. I think that's pretty fair to say, Jaden. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, where it gets interesting, even more interesting, is with affordable housing. So just taking the Battersea Power Station development specifically, 15% of the new homes at Battersea Power Station were due to be affordable. That's 636 units. Now, the definition of affordable in London is very, very vague. It used to mean anything that was social housing. Now it means things that are around 80% of market rent or a shared ownership scheme. Now, a shared ownership scheme is where you basically, again, I'm simplifying, you take out a mortgage for part of the property and pay a mortgage on part of the property and then you pay rent on the other half. It's a bit complicated and it's not that cheap, to be honest. Um, I think we found that the the cheapest one in, in the Battersea development was in New Mansion Square, which is across the road from the power station, kind of on the edge of Patmore Estate. You had to have a minimum salary of 65 grand a year, a th- nearly 13 grand deposit, and you were going to pay £1,600 a month. That's for the cheapest studio in the new development, which is, yeah, yeah not not that, <laughs> not that cheap. Um, Battersea actually cut the number of affordable homes to nine percent or three hundred eighty six units after construction had begun. Now, that's not an issue that's unique to Battersea. There are there's a bit of a running theme of developers cutting their affordable housing requirements after construction has begun, after deals have been agreed. Battersea say that they uh, you, you need to look at that in the wider context of what they are delivering down there. They've delivered new tube stations, a new public realm, shops, parks. You can now come to this area of London without spending a single pound. They also point out that they there is an upside such that if they can build more affordable housing later, 
they will. Obviously, we're not going to know that until they actually do it at a later date. You may think that look, cutting affordable housing after these deals have been agreed is outrageous and not fair. And that's kind of true. But the fact is the councils are often in a weaker position of influence than the developers when it comes to this. And they wouldn't want to scupper and lose the whole deal because of it. I think this is probably the most shocking bit of the whole thing here. This development's happened. It's got the go ahead on the basis of having some affordable housing in it. And then that affordable housing requirement has been cut. I don't know what you guys thought of that part of the video. I think it's really complex. I think it's really, really complex. Um, one of the things that I can't help but but think uh, when uh, we we watch this video, when we look into this topic, is that you can't help but look on a map and see that Battersea is quite central, isn't it? It's got great links to central London, right? So there is a strong argument. And again, I'm not I'm not an advocate for you know either side right now. I'm kind of waiting for you guys to help me come to a conclusion a little <laughs> bit because this video has just really split me. But you know, there there, there is a really strong argument to say, well, look, this is this is like really, really accessible areas isn't it in london it, you know you can get to the city really quickly you can get to westminster really quickly you can get to west london really quickly south london so you know sh- why should it be that affordable why should it be filled with social housing and again i'm not saying that i agree with that um probably in an ideal world it'd be mixed or a lot more mixed than what it is now and not like oh yeah this is affordable housing uh but it's going to cost you what was it 1600 quid a week on a month month. yeah yeah mad absolutely mad like that that's not affordable at all um but i suppose that is household isn't it so you know if you're splitting that with another person that halves so you know for some couples in london that could be achievable right um and that's why it, it, it just starts to get really complex really 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 complex and i agree you you had a gentleman on the video that i thought was absolutely phenom- phenomenal he had the all white outfit looking like <laughs> an Pinder. absolute legend yeah very cool, very cool dude looks a lot cooler than me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he just uh he was he was fantastic and and i liked kind of his approach that you know i think one of the issues is that it's pushing the people that have actually grown up and lived there, the people that have made this an actual place, not a generic place you could find in any world city, they make this area. They're now starting to get pushed out, you know? And I think that's a massive issue. That's a huge issue. This was something I really wrestled with when I was trying to work out with the team how, how this story comes together. Because you're right, Luke, location always drives property values it's all about location 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 as the the saying goes and you're right if you want to live in battersea on i think the edge of zone one or even in zone one i think it is with all those access to all those places in the middle of central london you're gonna pay a premium for it if that's where you choose to live you're gonna get less for your money there than if you live out in the country or somewhere else in the uk or even somewhere else in the world that's a fact of life i think what we're saying with this is that if we only build luxury housing developments in our cities to the point where there is no affordable housing and the people who were indigenous to these cities to begin with are pushed out way beyond the inner zones to the outer reaches and the suburbs what becomes of our cities and what's left in the middle i think that's the conversation that we're having here i think look again we get it location drives property values but if we only build high-end ultra high-end luxury housing that's not how our cities thrive, in my view. You're you're bang on the money. There isn't you can't have a city without normal people in it, right? And you said something at the start of the show where some people just buy these properties for investment. We all when you buy a property, you like to earn a pretty yeah. penny from it, right? There's no doubt that's just the system we're in, you know. We're, we're just in that loop. That's not for us to change. So are you going to try and make a profit on your property or your any purchase? Uh, yeah, obviously. Anyone's going to do that. But it's when people are just pumping money into property in London and then that's it. They leave it empty. You know, they don't even, maybe they visit the apartment like 
once or twice a year with family. That's that's different, you know. But again, that is what a free market is, isn't it? Yeah, that that's just is like, what with. Yeah, you're right, Luke. I think with yeah. with Battersea, it, they, I want to draw a distinction because I mentioned Billionaires Row earlier, and it's not it's not the same extreme. You know, Billionaires Row is a completely different galaxy to developments like Battersea. And when you walk through Battersea, there are families, there are lights on in the apartments, there are kids' toys in the windows, there are people living there. There are people living there, but it's just that they're not they're not the kind of people that were indigenous to that community to start with, and. You know, if you've if you've had a successful career, if you if you're if you're wealthy, if you've earned your money, you don't begrudge people living in a property like that. I think it goes back to the point I made a moment ago. If we only build ultra high end housing, that doesn't cater for a good diverse city, in my view. Yeah. You gotta look at like living costs as well with these redevelopments. So if you've got the locals staying there, right, the local typical supermarket people shop at, the, the the veggie stores, things like that, they're going to be replaced by high-end stores, right? So then you're going to have to pay more for that. So you've got your rent increasing, your mortgage, whatever it is, but then all these other elements of your life increase as well. So it's like a it's like a domino effect. Really. Yeah, it's complicated because it's you can't draw a clear line between, okay, this apartment complex went up, so now I have to move out. There's a lot of non- tangible impacts of this that we're only going to see play out in the next 20 30 years because you know as the demographic of an area changes as the shops change out who knows what's going to happen but i think what's was kind of most striking to me was battersea before this redevelopment wasn't necessarily a super accessible place for the rest of london like there was no tube station there it wasn't super easy to get in and out but the regeneration built that accessibility in the tube stations but it's not clear right now if the people who lived in Battersea before are really going to be the ones that reap those benefits for the next, you know, generations to come. When we were talking to Neil, it kind of struck me where he was like talking about all the people that he knew in Patmore Estate and he's calling them up on the phone. And even as he's calling them, he's like, oh, they moved out, like they sold, they had to leave. And he's like, just looking around, nobody in these developments thinks that all of this new construction is for them or even for their kids. Like there's just an implicit knowing that, yeah, they're building this, but it's not for me. So I don't really think there's an issue with building new developments or even high-end developments, but when it comes at the cost of the people who lived there before and kind of helped build the culture of an area, that's where it kind of gets to be a gray area. It's really... uh again really complex isn't it and every aspect every aspect of this i think it's really complicated especially when you start like you said someone just then Jaden, like when you're involving kids and future generations i think that just touches a little nerve i think for me anyway and i think for a lot of people you're gonna think what so i grew up here my family lives here and what they have to move like 20 miles south of me or east of me you know to to even stay in contact you know that's as feasible as it gets but i suppose i want to ask you guys a question on the back of that um obviously we we said earlier i made the point that battersea was just sitting there rotting until a young fred mills jogged through it during <laughs> some sort of iron man what was it a marathon or something like it was men's health survival of the fittest so it was 10 it was a 10k <laughs> run with obstacles and crawling through rivers and rolling through mud and it was really good fun yeah it's quality mate quality and it was from that moment you knew you were going to start a youtube channel called for bim right <laughs> <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but honestly like when you when you look at a project like Batsy, a council isn't going to look at that and go, I know, let's redevelop it. Like, what? where's that money going to come from? No one's going to do that. A council's not going to do that. The government's not going to do that because it's not infrastructure. It's just sitting there rotting. I can't help but think, guys, like, what's the alternative? Like, what, other than what we got, okay, like, there could have been differences in execution, okay? And that's, I, I suppose, what we're talking about here. But the actual project, the actual redevelopment, what else were they going to do? And that's and that's not me suggesting anything. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a bit ignorant to this. So, 
uh, have you guys got any ideas or i think i was thinking about this earlier the, the nature of the conversation we're having here goes more to the heart of the levels of wealth inequality that we're seeing in our societies globally right now that's manifested through some of the types of housing being constructed mm. that only well a very different slice of the population to the majority of us can actually afford I think we should say the Battersea development is a completely legitimate, uh, legitimate development. It's there's there's no reason why it shouldn't have been built. There's been no rules tweaked or any kind of like foul play or anything. It's it's these developers are absolutely within their rights to build projects like this on sites like this to satisfy market demand like this. Um, yeah, there's been some issues with the affordability requirements, which we spoke about earlier, but it's the system that's the issue here not the developers. Developers aren't at fault. They're doing their job. They're running their businesses completely legitimately. Um, and I think we should, we should highlight and draw a line again. This is not just we're telling this story partly through the Battersea example, but this is happening globally. It's happened in cities all around the world, um, particularly in some of our major cities and particularly where heritage structures or derelict areas are being being encouraged to regenerate and and change in the future and i think going to your point luke i think there's we established in the video and i think through conversations with with neil and paul and others as well who are in the video there's a difference between regeneration and this word gentrification so regeneration is something that's very much driven by the state in simple terms it can be driven by policy it can be driven by governments it's it's a good thing for cities you know it's it's areas of a city that are deprived or struggling or run down finding new life finding rebirth the difference with gentrification is that's when things tend to go up market and only some people benefit from the rebirth of an area not everyone and those some people tend to be wealthy people and that's how you end up with people who are indigenous these areas being moved out and the soul of our cities really starting to materially change you could argue that's just part of evolution. That's just part of history. That's just part of how cities will change over time. And let's just see where it goes. But it doesn't feel like the best way to build a community to me. I agree with you. I hear what you're saying. I really do hear what you're saying. And again, it's the fact that this is affecting so many people's lives, you know, thousands and thousands of people's lives. Um, again, though, it's... <sighs> How do I say this? If the the only reason I could see myself visiting Battersea, you know, would maybe to go to the other side of the river to maybe recreate the Pink Floyd album. That's like the only. <laughs> that's the only. Yeah. I really like Pink Floyd, so that, that's the only reason I could probably like think of of going there before this regeneration, right, or whatever you want on this project. Now we've the project with the regeneration with the gentrification whatever you want to call it um i am and this is me just being completely transparent completely transparent i i, I am more inclined to visit it now i i just want to see i want to be nosy i want to go all oh, right okay this is snazzy isn't it this is clean like oh they got a frank gary building there that's really cool <laughs> london's only frank gary building right that's a big deal that is a big deal okay it might not be my favorite frank gary building but it's pretty cool. It's pretty yeah. cool. And I think it's really tough because this isn't Battersea's fault. This is obviously, this is like a symptom of a global climate, right? Where people are just like buying into property. They're going into property and saying, right, okay, this is a safe haven. And so the wealthy exploit that, but also lots of people like, uh, are doing that. You know, you you and I, Fred, we're, we're doing that. Liam's looking into buying property. He said last week or whenever it was, he's looking to buy a house. It is just what people do. And at the end of the day, you, you made a great point in the video that there's not many cities on the planet that can compete with London in mm -hmm. terms of being a world city. This is a city that ranks number one in a great deal of things. Um, so many you know, businesses are headquartered here. Apple are putting their office into this power station. So who's going to live by there? Apple people. Are <laughs> Apple people paid well? Yeah. Apple people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Apple people. The Apple people. 
they're, they're paid well, right? You know, you can imagine Tim Cook's like, yeah, all right, I'll have, a, I'll have one of those sky, those snazzy sky villas <laughs> and I can just take my lift down to my office and while well, he just drinks drinks a cup of coffee and his shakes because that's all he drinks, just shakes, the nutrient shakes. It, there's um, no dispute, the, the plans work. You know, bring new businesses, boost the economy, bring new life to the area, create space for high-end coffee shops and all this sort of stuff. It's it's worked. It's taken off. They it, they've met their objective. It, the, I think the question is whether that was the the right objective. I think going back to sure. your previous point, Luke. It, it as I said earlier, it really is worth going down there. I think a lot of these developments. London has a kind of a natural heart. So if you go to London, you're going to go to Piccadilly Circus, Soho, Leicester Square, Covent Garden. It's it's always busy there. There's always stuff happening. There's culture that's developed over over thousands of years. It's interesting that developments like King's Cross, Battersea Power Station, Nine Elms, to an extent still Canary Wharf, I'm sorry to say, often have to go out of their way to try and entice people to come to those areas of London. Mm. So, you know, Battersea are doing, they did an open-air cinema through the summer, they're doing fairs, they're doing art exhibitions, they, they want people to come there. They really are putting a lot of effort into people coming there. But it feels a bit like that. It feels a bit like the draw. You know, they've got they've got a glass elevator that comes out the top of one of the chimneys, which is which tourists will love. It gives you great views of London. It forces people to come to Battersea, which is also part of the strategy with these new areas, is that they've not been on the map before, so you have to give people a reason to go to them. Hudson Yards in New York is a lot of high end offices, a lot of high end shops there. They put the vessel down as an interesting tourist attraction. Um hasn't hasn't gone so well the vessel but they've now got the edge you know this this ridiculous observation deck coming out the top of i think 30 hudson yards some some nearly 100 stories up in the air so these places have to work quite hard to put themselves on the map and draw people to them because these cities have natural hearts times square in new york central park in new york covent garden in london and getting people to come out of the natural heart to go further afield they need a reason to go there so yeah it's interesting how that's a that's a factor as well let's play devil's advocate right let's Let's. say that you were a homer (laughs) (laughs) let's play devil's advocate on a live podcast (laughs) go for it (laughs) right let's say if you were a homeowner and you owned your flat or house in battersea before this uh project before this regeneration london property values gone up anyway but i'd imagine they'd go up a lot more with this regeneration, particularly with the underground, new underground stations, yeah. right? Okay. So suddenly, let's say if I've lived in Battersea all my life, on my doorstep is this abandoned, ropey, rough-looking power station that no one goes to, and then, oh, now it's a really nice area, and I live in this. I live in this place now. I live in this place of two power, underground stations. That must be a good thing for a lot of people who own their property around there, right? And they're probably thinking, Koch, that's all right. My, my, my place has gone up in value by 200, 300 grand, <laughs> right? There's got to be that as well. There has to be that as well. And there's going to be people that maybe bought their flats when flats were cheaper, you know, and now they're thinking, oh, little gold mine. Yeah, that so could- playing, playing devil's advocate, playing devil's okay. advocate, you sell yeah. your one bedroom flat in London that you bought for a fiver that's now 500 grand, yeah? Yeah, <laughs> I'm picking, move I'm to picking, Surrey. I'm picking that. Yeah, I'm picking numbers out the air here. <laughs> you go and try and buy the same thing again in the same area where you've grown up your whole life, where you've got roots, with the same that that money, and you find you can't afford somewhere. If so if, what, if what I'm do you trying do? to move. move to a different area, yeah, of course, mate. If I'm selling my place, I'm not going to try and move into the same area. <laughs> you know, I might sort of stay in my flat. I'll stay in my flat, I'll stay in my house. You know, and that's that's London. That's London, right? That's not that's not Battersea's problem. No, that is the rules. Yeah, that's gonna happen whether you're you're in Newham or in Chelsea. Yeah, unless you've got like bank to build, you know, like, <laughs> like a conservatory or something, you know, you're gonna have to move out. And that's what people do. We know that, Fred, because we live in the home counties. People yeah. are always always moving out of London. I've seen it in my own town since growing up. It's become more Londonized. I personally think that's a good thing, but that does come with repercussions, right? That does come with a cost. At the end of the day, we do live on the doorstep of one of the most expensive cities on the planet. And 
you know, we don't have to live here. It's tough, and that's taking emotion out of it. And again, I'm not saying I agree with this, but we don't have to live there. We choose to live here. If I wanted to relocate to Devon, I could do that. My parents did that in the 90s. They were like, right, we've had enough. We're going to Devon, and it was beautiful, blah, blah, blah. There weren't any jobs, <laughs> so they moved back. But, you know, that's that's kind of life, isn't it? I yeah, suppose. And that's, that's being really harsh. I don't want to be, because I'm not saying I necessarily agree with this, but I can almost sense some people making this point in our ears, right? A hundred percent. And this is, this is the flip side of the story. I think it's important to, for balance. It's important to acknowledge that, <laughs> that this, many people will argue this is just the way that capitalism works. This is just the way the world works. This is just how cities and societies evolve get over it and that, that's a very legitimate argument i think that argument's made comes across loudly in the video especially from some of our interviewees and yeah that is the flip side of it people people need to decide where they sit on this issue yeah and i think that's that's where it gets complicated because i don't think we're trying to say that's bad like you're right for those people it is really good but the the point that i think we kind of want to get across in the video is there's always two different groups of people. There's going to be people that benefit. So those people that own their homes, but then there's people who London is their home. Like they've, their families are born and raised in London. They don't have another town to go to, but say they rent. So they're not the ones benefiting from prices going up. It's actually going to hurt them because their rent prices are going up. They don't have that asset to sell. So there's like, again, it's, it's two sides of everything. Some people are benefiting and that is great. And you can now go down to Battersea and the people who do rent there currently like can go down to the shops and they can go to the park and that's good. And now they have a tube station and they can get into the city easier, but they're also, you know, it, the, the price rises don't affect everybody the same, if that makes sense. It's not necessarily a question of should Battersea have been done differently. It's how is the system broken and Battersea is just existing in that system. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And that's the same with a lot of people, I'd imagine, in many cities around yeah. the planet. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're banging the money. And renting is just absurd at the moment, isn't it? It's cheaper. Once you get on the ladder, it's cheaper to have a mortgage in a lot of cases, which doesn't really sound right, does it? You know, that it's it costs way more just to rent a place. I don't know. Just I saw I think it was like a meme on social media that there's someone that's paying like two grand a month rent and they were struggling to get a 800 pound a month mortgage because <laughs> it's like oh not sure you can afford this <laughs> well, i'm being i'm paying a fortune on rent so <laughs> maybe i can what's it like in uh what's it like in sydney liam uh yeah i think it's much the same mate i think we covered that in the video as well um there was i think we played some news clips um from some news channels over there it's 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 very similar um, just touching on what you're saying, Luke, about you buy a house because the mortgage is cheaper. I don't. I don't think that's the case at the moment with uh, interest rates, mate. <laughs> I think it's a lot higher at the moment. <laughs> Hopefully, it goes down next year. But um, yeah, it's definitely obviously we we've just bought a house, and yeah, the, the the mortgage repayments are a lot higher than what we'd be paying if we we're renting. Oh, mine ain't. <laughs> maybe maybe i need to relocate to basildon or where yeah where come want, come to uh what where, where did you where did you think i live margate margate <laughs> <laughs> that's know, mate yeah yeah I'm, we right. uh we refixed our mortgage last october for five years and i'm oh, absolutely delighted that we did it i'm expecting i'm expecting to have banks probably write us a letter and go oh sorry small print we've decided to change it yeah i'm um, surprised they don't have a clause in there just being like ah we take actually, that back actually we lied yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Now, guys, this is obviously a very in-depth, interesting video. As you can tell from this podcast, it's provoked a lot of debate. We really, really want to know what you guys think about this. There's loads of perspectives to take. There's loads of views to take. What do you think of this issue? Are you affected by this issue? What do you think of developments like this? What do you think of Battersea? Have you been down to Battersea? Do you remember B Battersea before? Were you on that fun run with me? Were you also in the mud with me? You know, <laughs> let me let me know what you think. Get your emails coming in, podcast at theb1m.com or messages on social media. Um, yeah, we want to get your feedback and we'll read some more. Uh, we'll read some more of that. Oh, no, got it all wrong. We'll read them out next week, podcast at theb1m.com.
So, also in the news this week, guys, we have got a few interesting projects. Uh, first one, Masterplan Esberg Strand over in Denmark, designed by Bjarke Ingels Group. This, I mean, you've got to go and look at this on Instagram. It's very, very cool. It's it's classic Bjarke Ingels. It looks very, very kind of like their style. Um, reminds me a bit of Via 57 West in New York uh, on the west side there. Really nice building. This development is a new education hub that sits on a man-made island in the middle of a man-made lake uh, in Esberg, which is a town on the west coast of Denmark. And the idea is it's going to attract more people, more um, students to the area and kind of deliver, deliver a bit of an economic boost to the to the area. The building's incredible. Lots of trees, again, because it's an architectural render on Instagram. Why wouldn't you add trees? Uh, and it's got a, a nearly kilometre long open air walkway around its rooftops for you to walk around and recite things for your exams and learn stuff and generally be inspired by the environment. What do you uh, What do you guys make of this? Does that not remind you of like a um, a tech campus, like a Google um, HQ or like an Apple HQ? You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it, it does, looks right? like they're like building AI robots in there or yeah. something, but I like it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, I, I'm getting um, like um, a villain's layer yeah. from a James Bond movie vibes from it, for sure. <laughs> a villain's what? Sorry. A what? I've, I noticed that. It's sort of a, like a layer. Villain's, layer. A villain's, a villain's <laughs> layer. Let's go back to our layer. It's coming at my exit again. I am. Layer. It's a layer, mate. A layer. Oh, I, I would say layer. Yeah. Layer? Layer. Layer, yeah. Layer. yeah. What? Layer. layer. Layer something in a cake. Yeah, That's exactly. a layer. <laughs> Let's take layer. all this uh, stolen treasure <laughs> back to our secret. <laughs> our secret victorious punch. <laughs> 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 do you know what i i uh i'm actually not a big fan i'm not a big fan oh, of this Luke, i know i know I know, I know I know what you're doing you're worried that you said gorgeous too many weeks in a row and you're like, not, right, I'm, I'm gonna disagree with this another, one you might have another gorgeous coming up <laughs> it's not too <laughs> late mate it's not too late this reminds me of kind of uh, it's like the um the opera house in hamburg have you been to hamburg there's a really nice, and that's a Herzog building, I think. It is. It and is. That's, a, that's got a bit more height. That's got that's got a bit more something about this. This looks like a B Tech version of that. It just doesn't look as good. <laughs> it just it it's. I just think it it looks all right. Looks, I suppose it looks very Scandinavian. So it looks it's been it built in Denmark. So that I makes like sense. It. I mean, there's there's greenery, there's timber. Everyone looks happy. There's, the green, sun's there's shining. greenery, Fred, because it's in the middle of a field, mate. It's just, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it looks like a nice place to go and learn to me, which is kind of what the runners are trying to achieve, isn't it? <laughs> nice you, place you, to go and learn. Do students get there by boat? I see some like boat, a lot of boats in the harbour. Yeah, there's bridges, mate. Um, I'm not sure. Wow. What students are tying up their boats outside. Yeah. <laughs> That's another thing. I'm going to catch my yacht to, to class. Yeah. <laughs> this, is Den- this is Denmark, guys. You yeah. know, like, you never know. Those guys got money. <laughs> They're paid well over in Denmark. <laughs> I don't know. It, it looks okay. It looks okay to me. It looks a little bit dated. It looks like something that would have been built in 2003. Mate, you can't you can't burn Bjark Ingalls like that. The guy's it does. The, the guy's Fred, on the cover you know of Time right. magazine. The guy's got a Netflix series. You can't burn him like that. He knows architecture and you don't. There, Step back. There was there was like a there's been you can't grade stuff by if they have a Netflix series or not. <laughs> have you seen have you seen some of the tat that's put out in Netflix? <laughs> I don't know, mate. Like it, it's you know what I mean. Though it does look a bit two thousand and three, right? Come on. Do you not That's think good. like the white cladding? The I'm I'm just glad it's we're kind of moving away from rando clad. You know when they used to just clad, they do it in London. They used to do it in London like all the time. They still do it in parts of the country. They're just like right windows here, 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 here. It's just random. But this looks, oh, I don't know. It just looks old. And not in a good oh, way. So I like it. Luke thinks it looks a bit 2003. Liam, are you a fan? Mm, I'm on the fence, mate. Liam's on the fence. Jaden? Yeah. I'm a fan. I like it. I would go. Oh, there we go. I knew I could rely on Jaden being on this podcast. <sighs> I, knew. I think we should get Mike Landers back. I, I, Mike was a great guest, by the way. 
Yeah, I want to. I want him back. I want. I want a series, like a sub series of Mike of him just reviewing buildings. <laughs> you know, or ranting about things or talking about his life. Or <laughs> he's got such dulcet tones. I love that podcast. I could listen to him all day. <laughs> Tell us about Pasadena, Mike. Oh, all right, tacos, tacos, tacos. Um, also. Now, fittingly, also this week, we've got a new skyscraper in Los Angeles, California. God, I miss it. I want to move to California. This is called Angel's Landing, 63-story new skyscraper rising uh, in the downtown area, 260 meters tall. It's going to have a mixed-use podium. There's going to be a slightly shorter 150-meter skyscraper next door. The exciting thing about this is it looks really nice, but also it's going to become the fourth tallest building in LA after the 262-meter Aeon Center, the 310-meter US Bank Tower, iconic, iconic US Bank Tower with that crazy glass slide outside of it, and the 335-meter Wilshire Grand, tallest building in LA, which completed in 2017. Hello to everyone in the US who's going mental at me right now for reading out in meters, not feet. I'm sorry. You need to come over to our system. Yes, you do. And Fred, it's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree with so? that. Do you, I, I find it really bland. Yeah, it does nothing for me. Yeah, I, I wouldn't look twice, nothing. honestly, if I saw it. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, well, that's what it's meant There's to do. There's a building, right? Exactly, Jaden. It looks like it needs some like seasoning or something. It's just yeah. very just It's seasoning. unseasoned chicken. Seasoning. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's exactly what I thought when I looked at it, too. That's boiled chicken. Yeah, that's a chicken breast, <laughs> a white chicken breast with nothing. But on you, it. but you liked the two thousand and three, like yes, it's fake, something. the fake Hamburg Opera House in the middle of an island. I know. Let's put it on an island and add some yachts. That'll do it. Like what? No, I, no. To be fair, this is this. I'll, I'll admit this isn't my favorite, but. Not all skyscrapers are meant to be iconic, right? I think sometimes um, cohesion should come above individuality. And I think in Los Angeles, this will work really well. It's, it seems to be bucking the trend of um, adding plants to the building. <laughs> That's a good thing, right? That's a good I think thing. So. It's good to, I didn't know they existed. It does. I think what I like about it is the design very cleverly fits in with the surrounding context really well. And I mean, I, what you were saying just then, Luke, I sat to myself in the bathroom mirror every morning. Not not everyone was born to be iconic, and it's okay, Fred. <laughs> it's okay, Fred. You can just fit in with the crowd and be cohesive. It's fine. That's, that's, it's that's okay, your lot Fred. in life, mate. It's okay, Fred. I've got my penguin shirts. <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking buff what i like about these renders is that they've got they've got that kind of california grade to them i don't know what it was but when i was there just just every view every vista every picture i took just seemed to have the same kind of filter applied to it the whole place just had this kind of yellow hue to it maybe it's just me as a british guy going over there and falling in love with the place but um that kind of yellow grade still comes across all these renders as well so it's called pollution yeah. is it <laughs> It's smog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> uh, I miss LA though. I really do miss LA. No, it, it looks kind of cool. It looks like a robot from some some views. It does. But again, I, I think it I think it I think it'll fit in. I think it'll fit in with LA and I think that's what this project's meant to do. And I like it's um there's a there's a cool little like tram next to it. Have you seen that in one of the yeah. renders, like a hill tram? I didn't even know that was in LA. Is that, is that the one that's in, um, have you seen the film 500 Days of Summer? No, is mate. That, is there a tram? No. Is it, are they, do they call them that? trolleys? Is that a trolley? Probably. Or is it a trolley like a little bus? Yeah. Jaden, well, we're looking at you here. I think a trolley is like the streetcar. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think. Do you see what I'm talking about, you guys, or...? It's the second from last. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah, like a yeah. little funic- funicular railway. Funicular yeah, railway. that looks sick. And then there's some greenery. There's some sorry shrubbery um, <laughs> nearby. So you still got some. You still got some, but it's not as it's not as heavy as other renders we've seen. This skyscraper um, looks a bit like our column fan at home that's that saved my summer. That's just been kind of rotating and blowing cold air around our house. <laughs> <laughs> it's got. It does it's got, look like an air conditioner. <laughs> It's got air conditioning unit vibes. <laughs> uh, that's not a bad thing. So, 
Uh, now, Liam Marsh is a bit of a coffee connoisseur, and it's worth saying he, he knows his coffee, he knows his long blacks, his flat whites, he, <laughs> he, he likes his espressos. The funniest thing in California was Liam asking for a coffee. So someone got up and be like, yeah, can I just get a, a long black, please, or a small black coffee, a small black espresso? And the waiter would go, black coffee? Sure. No, no, I don't. I don't want the filter coffee. Don't. No, yeah. no. And then they'd bring him a massive, a massive cup of filter coffee or drip Mate. coffee. I can't. Yeah, it's it's pretty frustrating. I, a, why does no one have espresso machines? And B, why are smalls in America the size of a large everywhere else in the world? That's <laughs> just <laughs> small. It's like I love it. Five hundred so mils. Good. Oh, mate. Yeah, it was doing my head in. In the end, I just wanted a, a, an espresso. Just an espresso. I like yeah. that you can get a big gulp for a dollar. Oh yeah. And just fill it with Manichu. <laughs> you can fill it with like yeah, Dr. Yeah. Pepper. And that's you for the day. And you get like I love when on the motorway you'll see these guys with these huge cups and they're in their like trucks and they're like sipping on their mountain dew, playing some country music. That's the American dream. That's my dream right there. That sounds amazing. Right? Quit this all we quit this all and go and drive a truck. Yeah. <laughs> Environment. <laughs> What's that? Interestingly, the whole time we were there, I didn't see a single McDonald's or Burger King. There was an In-N-Out. No. There was loads of Starbucks. There was Starbucks everywhere, in the lobby, in my hotel room, all through XCON, every street corner, there's a Starbucks. But not a single Mackie D's. What's going on? That's outrageous. So you were, and by the way, you were trying to find people at the convention center who <laughs> would say a fillet of fish, and no one said it. That. That did not go well. I mean, people are ordering salads, for goodness sake. I know. I thought, come on, guys, live live a little. Yeah. Jane, we all know they're your... lying. They just want to come across as good on the podcast. Oh, yeah, I'll get a, just six McNuggets. No, you don't. You get 20 bucks. I'm going to have a McDonald's salad. No, you're not. No one's going to order a salad. Shut Crazy. up. Jane, what's your uh, McDonald's order? Uh, I was talking about this, actually, with Kurt the other day. Our coworker, Kurt, got McDonald's for lunch. <laughs> I was asking him what his order is. <laughs> It depends on my mood. If I'm really, really hungry, I'm going to do a McChicken, a six-piece nugget, and a small fry. Oh, you nice. got to get the variety. Yeah. Nice. We had a chat a few weeks back about how the gherkin in London was being surrounded by other skyscrapers, and Liam said that he feels sorry for the gherkin. Um, and then we were out, in, we were yeah. out in, <laughs> in California. I had a burger, obviously, as you do. And... Uh, I, I found a gherkin in there, and I said to Liam, "It's a bit like the city of London now, where you're going to you're going to walk through these buildings, and then all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, there's a gherkin, there's the gherkin.' It's like when you open a burger and go, oh, there's a gherkin.' Wasn't expecting that in there. That's actually so good. I love it. I love that. I appreciate that story, Fred. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are like, "What? What's a gherkin again?" No, I like it, mate. I like it. Uh, now, we're going to have the funny comment of the week. What have you got for us, Liam? All right. Um, yeah, this one's actually quite good. Lucky, like, actually, lucky I'm not an insecure man reading this out. This is from <laughs> Ruben.hpf, and this is an Instagram comment from um, from last week. So this is Ruben, a.k.a. Fred's Burner account. Listening to the latest <laughs> podcast episode, and I can't help but imagine Liam as a shorter, less ripped version of Fred. Like a teenager, Fred. <laughs> Bang on, Ruben. That is. Oh, man. Can we block people from listening to the podcast? <laughs> yep. That's so good. I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible. Oh, um, I, swear, now- I swear that's you on your burner account, Fred. He's <laughs> got, no, got no likes, nothing. And you I'll, magically I'll just go. sent it to me before the podcast. I'll go and give him a like. Don't you worry. I'll go and give him a like. <laughs> please, please give him a like. Um, Pin it. Pin it. I want to shout out to someone that emailed in. Now, in our first episode, I said that the guy that designed the Eiffel Tower also designed Washington, D.C. And I was very nervous in that first episode. You can hear it in my voice. I was very on edge about how the podcast was going to go. And I am very sorry at the glaring error I have made there. It was not, that is not the case at all. So Washington, D.C. was master planned by a guy called Pierre Charles Enfant. We've got a whole video on it on our YouTube channel that I produced and narrated a few years back. The guy that designed the Eiffel Tower, Gustave Eiffel, also designed the Statue of Liberty, as I understand it. So I'm very, very sorry that I got that wrong. 
thank you to the chat for emailed in. We really appreciate that for the for the correction. And that just let that be a lesson, guys. That if, if I'm if I'm wrong, I apologize. Unlike Liam, who just stands by his positions. Mm, gotta stay firm, mate. <laughs> I'm also gonna take this opportunity to apologize uh, to the listeners. Just that they have to listen to me and for my ludicrous takes on things. And if I offended them on the Battersea <laughs> discussion, I'm going to just <laughs> say it now. Sorry. So, Jaden, is there anything you'd like to apologize for? <laughs> no, I came here to confess my sins. I think I'm good for today. <laughs> we'll see next week. <laughs> An anonymous confessions podcast would be a great, <laughs> be yeah, a great invention. Guys, thanks for listening. We want to know what you think about uh, this podcast. We know what you think about today's major central issue, the Battersea development that we talked about, the uh, issue of affordable housing in our cities. As I said, send your emails in. Let us know what you think about the air conditioning unit skyscraper in LA, the fantastic Bjarkingle designed new developments in <laughs> in Denmark. We want to know what you think. Do you agree with us? Have we got it wrong? Have you found McDonald's in San Diego? How do you like your coffee? Let us know, get your comments coming in, and we'll see you next week. Bye.